0: sermon text for this morning comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. As I said earlier, this is a preparatory sermon, calling to mind uh, specifically our, our need to examine ourselves as we come to the Lord's Supper of our sins And I'm going to read the entirety of Psalm 139, so we have the context of these two final verses of the psalm, but our text is going to be coming just from those last two verses. Let's hear God's word as we find it in Psalm 139. For the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. Speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. As Christians come to the Lord's Supper, they are to examine themselves to see where there is sin in their lives. Just as the Jews would prepare for Passover by going throughout their house and and removing all leaven from their house, so Christians must do the labor of looking at the house of their hearts and seeing where there remains sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one, speaking of coming to the Lord's Supper, he says this for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul speaks there of our self examination as a, a form of judgment of ourselves, where we put ourselves on trial. This, is, this practice of self examination is something that the church has confessed throughout the ages. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks the question How are they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to prepare themselves before they come unto it? The first part of that answer is they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are before they come to prepare themselves thereunto by examining themselves of their being in Christ and of their sins and wants. A while ago, uh, two uh, communions ago, we considered how we are to examine ourselves of our being in Christ. I preached then from 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul urged us with these words, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified. As we came to the Lord's Supper there, we were asking ourselves, Am I in Christ? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? This morning I want us to go a little deeper into our self-examination as we come to Lord's Supper in, in 2 weeks. As the catechism says, we are to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper by examining our sins and wants. Now, children, you might think that oh, of course I have to examine myself of my sins, but what is this about wants? When we think about wants, we often Thing about that the sort of idea of of writing a birthday list that i want this and i desire to have that this is what i want to make me happy but the word want here doesn't mean want in the sense of desiring something you might want ice cream or may want to play outside but want here actually refers to lack it refers to Our lack of obedience. Now, this meaning is an older meaning of the word, just as sin in our life is a demonstration that we are not living in conformity to God's word. So our wants refer to our lack of obedience to God. And we as Christians are to take stock of our lack of obedience to God prior to coming to the Lord's Supper. And we are to do this not because we can only come to the Lord's Supper if if we don't have any sin, as if we are worthy enough, if we are perfect and obedient enough. On the contrary, actually. The purpose for finding out our sins and our wants is so that we are motivated by faith to eat and drink Christ that we would see our great need of salvation in Christ alone, recognizing that he alone can cleanse us from our sins. And seeing our sin, we see our true need of Christ, our need for his broken body and shed blood. So we must examine our lives that thought we might see once again in new and fresh eyes that, oh, here is my horrible, awful sin. And yet here is the preciousness of Christ that he would die for my sins and take them away. So we must examine ourselves as we come to the Lord's supper. And children, you, you might think, well, this sermon doesn't really seem to apply to me. After all, this, this sermon is about preparation for the Lord's Supper, and I can't come to the Lord's Supper yet. However, I would argue that the sermon is very much for you. It's our desire that one day you would come to the Lord's Supper. And to prepare for that, I want to encourage you to start this practice of of self-examination, to to see where there is sin in your life. Children, you need to be asking yourselves, Do I love Christ? Do I believe He has saved me from my sins? And as you ask that question, be asking, What sins in my life has Christ specifically saved me from? What sins do I see in my life that I need to repent of? And so let's consider Psalm 139, verses 24 through 25, examining our sins and wants. You need to be examined by God in this life. David's prayer in Psalm 139 isn't simply an interesting historical example for us to consider. Rather, when David prays, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting, David is giving us words to follow and even direct our own prayers to God. David's prayer here should, should be our own prayer. Search me, O God. David is helping us to see that a pattern of spiritually healthy behavior is to have God examine our hearts. Now, as we stop and think about that, there is a really sobering reality that accompanies this. David is asking the God of the universe, the thrice holy God, the God who is a burning fire and brilliant light, the God who thunders and smokes, the the God who hates sins, the God who is everywhere present, the God who intimately formed us in our mother's womb. David is asking this God, to come and search his heart for sin. In other words, David is asking to be humbled by God. When we ask the perfect and righteous God to expose our sin, we are are asking to to be humbled by him. The idea of humility is never a, a comfortable task. But it is a very necessary one. You see, if God does not examine you in this life, if you do not carefully examine yourself in this life of your sins, God will certainly examine you when you die and stand before Him as the judge of all the earth. Yet at that point, it will be too late for you to repent. Hebrews nine twenty says, Hebrews nine twenty seven says that it is appointed. For men to die once, but after that, the judgment. And Paul reminds us in Second Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Everybody will ultimately be judged and examined by God. The warning of Scripture that regardless of your identity, regardless of who you are, regardless of your position in society, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of what denomination you belong to, you will be judged by God on the last day. There's no escaping judgment. How better for it how much better it is for us to examine ourselves and or to call upon God to examine us before we die and to face the living God unexamined, not knowing what his word says about us. So it's necessary, vitally necessary for us to examine ourselves in this life. And the, the wise person will take this to heart. He'll seek to examine himself, calling upon God to examine him. Yet how many foolish people are there who do not give their lives or actions a second thought? Many are content to live life blindly. They think nothing of their sins. They say, well, if society thinks it's all right, well, then it must be all right. This is the norm among Christians today. Well, I I must be doing fine. There are many people in the church that think they no longer have a need to to sit and examine themselves since they became Christians. Once they they believed on Christ, well, suddenly the need for them to examine themselves has, has stopped. But... Friends, seek wisdom this morning from God's Word. Follow the example of David, who is a man after God's own heart, and examine yourself of sin. When somebody takes an, is going to take an important test, they will often do many practice tests to prepare themselves for the real thing. And when you're getting ready to take your uh, learner's exam to be able to drive often there is those online exams you can take online and uh, when i did did mine i I took 20 or so of these online exams uh, so that i could be prepared for the, the real thing as a general rule when we have something important we will study and prepare for it how much more important is our own salvation? How much more important is our own standing with God? So I urge you, God's word urges you to do the same thing when it comes to your salvation. Paul exhorts you with the words of Philippians 2.12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. An aspect of working out our own salvation. Is standing under the microscope of the Word of God and letting Him examine you. What was the last time you went through each of the Ten Commandments and asked yourself, How am I keeping these commandments? Are there ways that I am breaking and violating these commandments? Ask yourself, Am I taking the name of God in vain in any ways? Am I keeping the Sabbath day? Am I honoring my father and mother? Am I murdering my neighbor in my heart? Am I committing adultery in my thoughts and with the things I look at? Am I discontent and coveting something that God has not given me? Ask yourself these kinds of probing questions as you come to God's Word. Let God's Word examine you. As A sincere Christian recognizes that he needs God specifically to examine him. David recognized this great need. David cries out to God in our text, Search me, O God! and know my heart, try me, and know my anxiety. David calls upon God to examine him. And this is also a theme that we see repeated throughout many of the Psalms. Uh, You may remember several months ago from Psalm 17, verse 3, where David says, you have tested my heart, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me and found nothing. There, David has God vindicate him of the false accusations of wicked men. There's a very positive aspect to examination. Then, last month, we saw David in Psalm 19 say, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. David is asking God, I know there are hidden sins in my life. Cleanse me from those. Reveal those to me that I might walk in perfect integrity before you. In Psalm 26, verse 2, David prays, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. At least four of of the Psalms of David speak of, of David asking God to examine him. The one who had a heart after God's own heart was one who regularly had his heart examined by his God. And it's ultimately a mark of our communion with God that he examines our hearts. One of the reasons i wanted us to read the entirety of psalm 139 because it it speaks of of the rich communion david had and how just the natural organic relationship david had with god led to his examination notice how psalm 139 starts it starts in much the same way that it ends but with an important difference. We read in verse one: "O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts. Afar off, you comprehend my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. David had such a relationship with God that God knew everything about him. Now, certainly God is omniscient. God knows all things. But how rarely do we consider this? We go about our day hardly thinking of the reality that God is with us. Yet David was intimately aware of this. And David meditates on it. He says, well, if I was to go all the way up into heaven, well, God, you'd be there with me. If I was to go all the way down to to hell, you'd be there with me. If I was to go across the sea, even there, you would be with me. David was intimate. He knew with, with great intimacy that his God was always with him. He had such a friendship with God that he could say God knew absolutely everything about him. Now, notice the distinction with how Psalm 139 starts and how it ends. It starts this psalm saying, God has searched him and found him seemingly faultless. That's what David says at the start. Then, after David, communes with God in prayer. He has to end Psalm 139 with a cry that God would search him, that God would know his heart, that God would try him and know all my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. It's communion with God. Let him to see his need for ongoing examination, to see how he continued to fall short of God's perfect holiness. David saw the need for examination, and do you see the need for yourself to be examined by God? Well, If you do, then you will see that such examination is accomplished through communion with him sometimes make the mistake, when we hear the word self-examination, you can make the mistake, well, this is something I do on my own. This is something I accomplish by myself. I might even think of it as just, oh, we're sitting in the room, in a dark room, by ourselves, and we're just thinking about ourselves. And yet, there's no scriptural presentation of such thinking. that smacks maybe more of self-help and self-validation than of biblical self-examination. Proper biblical self-examination is always accomplished through communion with God. This is what it means to be examined by God. Very naturally expressed for us in Psalm 139. David goes through, he prays to God, and he's examined by God. He's meditating upon the character of God. He's he's meditating upon who God is. And he walks away saying, oh, I I need God. I need God to to continue to show me my wickedness. I need God to, to lead me on the everlasting way. The communion we have with God through those ordinary means of prayer, of of the reading and preaching of God's word and, and of participation in the sacraments. Those, those are the ways that we commune with God and are examined by God. And as we commune with God in prayer and the reading of His word. we will be challenged by that word. Our sins will be pointed out as we meditate on the Ten Commandments. The holiness of God as we meditate upon the character of God will make us uncomfortable. And as David Clarkson remarked, he said, we must be willing to hear the worst as well as the best when it comes to our examination when you examine yourself of your sins you must be ready to hear the worst from god you cannot just focus on what is good a good friend will point out your faults as well as your strengths and this is what god as our friend does he says well done, good and faithful servants, when when we walk in obedience. But it also says you have left this undone. Continue to grow in faithfulness over here. It's necessary for our faults to be discovered by God because many people assume they are holier than they actually are may go around saying, oh, yes, I believe in the doctrine of total depravity. Of course, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They may say with the Apostle Paul, I am the chief of sinners. I am last in the leaf. Oh, wretched man that I am. Isn't it true that we are often willing to acknowledge, yes, I am a sinner. And Yet, yeah, that's... that's Sometimes easy for us to say because we can control what we mean by sinner. We can preserve our own sense of self righteousness in, in saying that. There is a certain religious points to be gained by saying, "Well, I am a sinner." After all, uh, well, then people will say, "Well, there there is a righteous man. He, he recognizes that he's a sinner." There's a man who knows God, and we can walk away from, from saying, "Well, I'm a sinner," with a, 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 a sort of comfortability about ourselves. You know, that, that was good of me to to say that. We walk away from such conversation, not necessarily humble, but but actually fed with a bit of religious pride. I think, well, it felt good to say, I am a sinner. Yet, if we were honest with ourselves, if we thought about our secret sins, our our more scandalous sins, the sins we don't want anybody knowing about, well, I wouldn't go and just publicly confess those. Those would be too painful for us to confess I'm willing to just say, Well, I, I, I'm a sinner. We often think we're holier than we actually are. But we must deeply examine ourselves, not just quickly bounce over the fact that I'm a sinner and I'll pray to God to forgive my sins in, in a general sense. If we are to experience great spiritual blessing in our self examination, we must come to intimately know our sins. And knowing those particular sins, we must confess them particularly. David isn't being general in his prayer, although at first glance it might seem that way. David wants the hard truth. He wants a hard and specific truth. Notice this, he calls upon God to know his anxieties. Another word there could be cares. David is wanting God to to know the things he struggles with the most. To know his inmost thoughts. Those those secret thoughts he has that only he and God knows. He wants God to examine those very specific things. David is asking God to examine him not superficially. Not just with blanket statements. He's asking God, know my inmost heart. David knew that out of his heart proceed the issues of life. And we must strive to be as specific. The point that after examination we say, I did this sin at this time in this manner. God, forgive me. That was wrong. Wash me. This is what naturally happens too when we have rich fellowship and communion with God or communion with the righteous God will not allow us a level of superficiality where we just say, well, I've sinned, God, forgive me, and we move on with our day. God's word will leave us uncomfortable as we read it. It will point out, what, out that what I did the other day, well, that was wrong. I, I must confess it and I'll not be able to move on until I've confessed that sin. Yet this level of detail often makes us uncomfortable. I think that can sometimes make us reluctant to engage in this self-examination. I think, once again, that goes to show that we like to think we're holier than we actually are. To be confronted with our sin is, is a very hard thing. It's a humbling thing. It, it removes our, our comfortable sensibilities. When somebody comes to us and confronts us about a particular sin, how often do we see our, our humility turn into pride? How many of us are more inclined to get defensive rather than to, oh, you know, you're right, that was wrong. Or, no, let me, let me consider this in light of God's word. I want to take this accusation seriously. We like to think of ourselves as much more humble and holier than we actually are. And yet, false humility and false holiness are a great danger to sincere godliness. They are hypocritical masks. Yet the sincere Christian recognizes the need to make careful examination of himself. He'll call upon God to search me, know my heart, try me, know my anxieties. There's something physically wrong with us. We often make an immediate effort to go to the doctor and have it treated. And we don't want the doctor to be superficial, now we want the doctor to make a very uh, careful examination, a very careful search. As many of you know I had a root canal procedure done uh, early August after experiencing a significant amount of, of pain in, in one of my molars. But then a month ago, the pain started coming back. And it got to the point that I had to go back to the dentist and have them look at the tooth again. And then just this past Thursday, I had to get another root canal done on the same tooth, because the previous doctor had actually missed some of the sickness that was in it. They did not remove all the sickness. And my appointment on thursday I was, I was very anxious i wanted the doctor this time to to make absolute make with absolute certainty that they removed everything from that tooth i did not want to go back i was i was eagerly desirous that they would make careful search and and remove everything i wanted the examination to be thorough And the doctor ended up saying, the dentist ended up saying that the previous dentist accidentally left some of the root in my tooth because they were being too careful. They were being too careful. We must not be too careful with our examination. We must make diligent search of our lives, not to leave any sin untouched. We must check and check and then check again. And when we find sin, we must be ruthless in dealing with it. We must throw caution to the wind. And certainly, often such ruthlessness will lead to pain. My root canal on Thursday was much more painful than my previous one. But such temporary pain is, is necessary. It's far better to have short-lived pain and trial than to have pain that goes on and on in our life because of failure to deal with sin. We must not be too careful in our examination. And such specificity, such, such carefulness happens when God examines us through His Word and through the means of prayer. God must examine us. We are far from reliable examiners. We often avoid the spots that we don't want to dealt with. Like a child who's got a splinter in his finger, and you see that that splinter in a young child's hand it needs to be removed. But the last thing that that child wants is for you to even touch that hand. No, we don't ever want to remove our own sicknesses. As we come to examination, we must have God point out our sin, examine us and remove our sickness. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of bone and marrow. That's the kind of examination we need. One that goes right to the heart, right to the depth. While it's impossible to escape conviction during self examination, that conviction should point us, it should lead us, it should compel us to seek the comfort that is in Jesus Christ. As such, there there is rich blessing in examination. One blessing of searching out our sins and lack of faithfulness is that we see our need of Christ very clearly. Those who are whole have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Christ did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the blessing of us seeing our sins is that we see our need of Christ all the more we're more eager and hungry for him. Seeing our sin, we are not to be drawn to despair, but rather to faith in Christ, for he alone is our righteousness. Sometimes we can be drawn to despair when we examine ourselves, when we see our sins. But often we despair because... We have trust in our own righteousness. We're sad because, well, I'm not as righteous and as holy as I thought I was. I'm not, uh, God doesn't love me because I'm, I'm a good person. That's been a lie we've held on to. That's a blessing of examination. It exposes us for who we are. We are sinners. Sinners who can only be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So, another blessing of examination is it helps prove our faith. When a man goes, uh, he, he wants to go hunting, um, he wants to go hunt deer, he, he'll go to the store and likely buy a gun, but he's not going to go from the gun store to the field, no, straight from, from the gun store to the field. No, he, a wise hunter will instead try out his, his rifle. He'll try out his new rifle. He'll, he'll make sure it works. He, he'll make sure the aim is true on it. He'll examine and test his weapon. And similarly, when the Christian regularly examines himself, asking God to test his faith, his, his faith is being refined and purified. He's understanding more of who he is and who God is and who he is now in light of the character of God. He's drawn closer, all the more closer to God. And in this way, self-examination leads to assurance. It assures us of our faith in Christ. If I walked up to you and said, well, I'm I'm a pro soccer player, you you, you might scoff at that. Uh, And you would demand that I prove it, that I demonstrate that I actually am able to kick around a soccer ball. You would want me to validate my claims based upon uh, upon observable skills that I have. This is what, in a sense, we're doing when we examine ourselves. We are taking that verbal profession of our faith, that I believe in Jesus Christ and seeing how that matches up with our life. Does my life reflect who I'm saying I am? We are seeing what fruits, what tangible realities of faith there are in our lives. After all, a Christian will indeed bear fruit. He said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. In examination, we will not just see our sins, but we also see the fruit of faith in Christ. Now, what do you do when, if you examine yourself and, and, and find sin? Perhaps you find so much sin that you wonder, am I possibly a Christian? Perhaps you look at your life and, and say, it appears the only thing I'm bearing is bad fruit. That can be a very discouraging thing. And yet this is the comforting reality of having God examine us. Earlier I spoke of this as a terrifying reality. That This is a thrice holy God coming and examining us. There is a truly comforting reality of having God examine us and asking God to examine us. We are asking our compassionate physician, Jesus Christ, to consider our condition. We are asking the one who came and bled and died for our sins to point out where we need to grow. What a comfort that is. This is the we are approaching the, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. We are approaching the Lord our shepherd, the one who cares for us. So God examines us, we must remember that He is the physician of our souls. He is specifically interested in healing us. A good physician does not want to kill his patients. Instead, he wants to make them well. And is this not what we see Christ doing again and again in the Gospels? When Christ speaks to the Samaritan woman, he points out her sins. Not with the purpose of belittling her. Not with the purpose of tearing down and never restoring. But Christ points out her sins with the purpose of showing her that he alone can deal with her sins. He desires to leave her, lead her on the everlasting way. Jesus tells her, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And this is the same with a woman caught in adultery. Her sin is exposed for the entire world to see. Yet what does Christ say? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Over and over and over again. In the Gospels. Jesus makes it apparent that he indeed is the way. The truth. And the life. When we see the grossness of our sins. When we see the bread fruit we are bearing in our life. This is a call not to despair. It's a call to faith. It's a call to come to Christ to be washed in his blood, be cleansed by the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Friends, to have God examine you is to have the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, come and point out your sins. That is a beautiful comfort that the Christian knows. This is God alone, who can deal, Who can lead us away from our sin and misery, a God who can lead us in that everlasting way. And David recognized this. This is why he prays to God and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David knows the care of his God. He knows that if he were to make his bed in hell, God would be there. He knows that if he were to walk in utter darkness, well, God would be there as well. So as you examine yourself this week, let your God lead you in the everlasting way. Let him lead you to himself. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you knowing that we are a sinful people knowing, O Lord, the deceptiveness of our hearts. We know, O Lord, our propensity to walk away from you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the necessity of examination. Father, we pray that you would examine us by your word, by the means of grace, of the reading and preaching of the word, of prayer and of, of the sacraments, grant, Lord, that you would reveal our secret sins, our hidden sins. And Father, as we examine ourselves, we pray, O oh Lord, that we would be compelled to come to Christ recognizing that he is our physician, that he is the one who cleanses us from all of our sins. Lord, increase our faith and lead us in the everlasting way.